Uh, thank you so much um, uh, for giving Heidi and I a chance to be able to just have some time and some respite, some refreshment away from ministry. And uh, it's always good to get, a little, get away just a little bit. We took about four days and, and we went to Phoenix, Arizona. My aunt lives in Phoenix, Arizona, my only ma- aunt on my mother's side. And I discovered that, I mean, this is absolutely the best possible time that you can visit Phoenix. Because it was only 116 degrees when we drove into town. And uh, so Heidi and I, we drove into Phoenix, 116 degrees. I'm taking pictures of the thermostat on my car, my truck, and I'm sending them to the boys in Florida. I'm sending them to all the relatives. Can you believe it's 116 degrees? And we're pulling the Phoenix. And so anyhow, we visited uh, my aunt. They just put her in assisted living. Uh, her daughter is helping her. My first cousin, Christy, my Aunt Juanita, Christy, and... And so we spent about a day and a half there. We took Aunt Juanita and Christy to, to Rudy's Barbecue. Never been there before. So we had some awesome barbecue. Went to Rudy's Barbecue and spent time with the family. And, and, uh, and then after that was done, uh, we decided to kind of take the long way home. And we went up on I-8 uh, into Arizona. But we decided to come back on I-10 uh, because we wanted to check some geofields out. I'm, I'm a little bit of a kind of a rock buff, you know, or a rock hound. My, my dad, uh, he panned gold when I was a kid and he taught me how to pan gold. So I got to do that kind of thing. And we'd, you know, find gems and geodes and all that stuff. And so just for fun, every once in a while we do that. And so I said on the way home, I've looked, I've read on the map, there's these geode landfills or these fields of, of gems there in this volcanic mountainous type of area, uh, just off of I-10 headed south back down here towards California. That's exactly what we decided. To do. It was a great idea at 116 degrees. So we get an ice chest together and put some ice in it and a whole flat of, of, of water and bottles of water. And, and so we, we start on I-10 and we're going on I-10 south back here and we go through Quarterline, I think, is the... Quartzsite. So we go through Quartzsite and we pass Quartzsite and then we come to Wiley Wells Road. I looked it up. I, I was, you know, learning where these fields are for the geodes. And so anyhow, you know, a geode, it's those rocks that you cut open, have the crystals inside and such. So, so we're, we're looking for these types of things. So we come to Wiley Wells Road and we take a left and we leave the freeway and we start on this dirt road. And, you know, now we're getting into the mountains and the volcanic rock and that's like glass, by the way. And and uh, now we're about 10 or 12 miles into it. And I'm thinking to myself quietly, you know, my wife is sitting there. I'm thinking this might not be a real bright idea. You know, going out in the middle of nowhere in the desert at 115 degrees, you know, with my 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 frail little wife. She's not all that frail. But anyhow, she did fall and she cut her hand up. So you ask her to look at her hand. She's got about three cuts there. But anyhow, so we're out there in the desert and we get out of the truck and we're, you know, walking all this lava, this, this volcanic rock. And and, uh, you know, it's kind of, you know, dangerous and shaky. And I'm thinking to myself, what am I doing? Because if I were to fall or I were to get hurt or my wife were to get hurt, I mean, 115 degrees out in the desert, this is probably really not a, a, a smart idea. And so we get back in the truck, we drink a bunch of water, get back in the truck, and we start down the road. And, and uh, I, I notice that we're, 
uh, as I'm looking at the GPS map, we are more than halfway. So here's I-10, Interstate 10, and I notice there's another highway, Highway 78, which goes through the Imperial Sand Dunes, and we drove through that. That was really cool. Never saw those before. And so, so we drove through the Imperial Sand Dunes, ended up in I-8. So anyhow, I noticed we're, we're on this dirt road in the mountains. We're halfway. And I'm thinking instead of turning back to I-10, we need to go to maybe this Highway 78, and that's what we do. But as we're at this halfway point, thinking about how dangerous this possibly is, and probably is, I'm thinking to myself how this is so much like life. I mean, we're on a road that's a safe road. I mean, we're on the right path, and we've been there. We're we're kind of on the right path. We've made a decision. Maybe that decision is to follow Christ, and, and we're you know we're headed somewhere. We know it. It's the right path. And then we make this crazy decision, you know, to, to get off the right path, you know, get off the right path and start down some other path, some rabbit trail. And pretty soon, all of a sudden, our resources, you know, are running low. And all of a sudden, we realize that maybe we're in a place that's kind of precarious. It's not the best place to be in life because we've gotten off the path. And I'm thinking about, you know, as I'm driving along, that this is probably not a great idea and how that happens sometimes in our spiritual life. And so I'm past the halfway mark there in the desert and I decide, well, we need to go on to this Highway 78 that goes through the dunes and all that. And so we continue on on this drive. Took us probably another hour or hour and a half or something like that. And. And as we got to the end of that dirt road, which was about 30 some miles long, and as we got down to about two miles, I I realized we were getting closer to the highway. And and then about a mile and a half, all of a sudden, I began to see these flashes of colors in between the bushes and the trees, these little sparks of life. And and they were cars that were on the highway, on Highway 78. And the closer I got to the highway, the more my heart began to beat. And I kind of felt a little bit at peace more because, you know, I didn't let my know let my wife know this. I didn't want her to think I was a wimp or anything, but I'm, I'm kind of excited that we're coming back to the highway. And we finally arrive at the highway, Highway 78, and now we're, we're on the right path. And now we're on the road that we need to be on, a road that is going to take us to a safe destination. And I began to think how our spiritual life is like that. We get off track and our resources are running low and maybe we're emotionally you know, just zapped, I mean, just worn out, because maybe we've made a sequence of bad decisions. And then all of a sudden, we begin to see these sparks of life and these flashes of color. And and all of a sudden, this hope begins to leap to life in us. And and then we discover Jesus. We've been lost. We've been on the wrong road. We've made some bad decisions. But all of a sudden, we begin to see these flashes of hope. And we see Jesus. And Jesus begins to bring this hope into our life. And and all of a sudden we realize that now we're focused on Jesus. And we are getting back on the right path again. You see, something happens to us when we focus on Jesus. How many believe that today, this morning? Something happens to us when we focus on Jesus. In fact, the scripture talks about the reality of, of, of joy. That That when we walk with Jesus and we... Allow Jesus to walk with us that there is this this joy that comes into our life. And I I think as 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 Christians, as believers, we sometimes forget that. (laughs) At least we forget to remind our face that because we walk with Jesus, we have joy. In fact, in Psalm 98, verse four, look at that. We go to Psalm chapter 98, looking at verse four. It reads like this. Listen to this. 
Psalms 98.4, shout to the Lord, listen to that, shout to the Lord, all the earth, burst into jubilant song and music. Now that's something, especially on a Sunday morning when we're still probably kind of wiping our eyes, trying to wake up, that this passage is saying to us to shout to the Lord, all the earth, and burst into jubilant song. In fact, in another translation, the King James Version, the way it phrases it, it says, make a joyful noise. Now, teenagers... I'm wondering this morning, I was thinking about that as I was getting ready, what does a joyful noise sound like in heaven? I'm wondering, I mean, really, if you could be there, what would a joyful noise in heaven sound like? Or what would a joyful noise this morning in this service sound like? I think we were making some joyful noise. And I think our lovely ladies and our man, James, I think they did an awesome job leading us into the presence of God and and making a joyful noise. But there's no question that there is this thread, there is this, this common denominator we see in the, the spirit of God's people in regards to God's people having joy or joy that is in the Lord. And by the way, our joy that is in the Lord is our strength. That's what the scripture reminds us. The joy of the Lord is our strength, right? And, and I believe there's this common thread we find in, in the word, whether it's Joshua and God's people marching around the walls of Jericho, remember that, and they were being obedient to God, doing what God instructed them, and they were marching around the walls, and they began to shout with joy, of course, and the walls come tumbling down. So whether it's Joshua or King David and all the grand things that God did through David's life, there is this stream, there is this commonality that we have joy when we walk with the Lord, and that there is this this gladness that becomes ours as we look at the history of God's people. In fact, in Psalm 100, verse 2, we read, worship the Lord in gladness. And I like that word gladness because it fits with that verse in the King James Version that I just mentioned recently, and that is making a joyful noise. Because when when you're glad, I mean, it seems to reason when you're glad, you're going to make a joyful noise. And so for us, what does the joyful noise sound like when we are glad in the Lord? So gladness, we would say, here's the baseline That gladness is joyful. Amen? Shake your head up and down if you agree with me this morning. So gladness is joyful. So the concept that we have here this morning, the word gives us, it is a concept of expression. And that really means a concept of expressing our joy. And I understand that some of us are extroverts, some of us are introverts. So I understand the expression comes out and and it happens differently as we are filled with the Lord's presence, the spirit of God, and our hearts become full and the fuller our hearts become, the more likely that's going to pour out and we're going to express that joy. Amen. And that joy becomes ours and we begin to express it. I I like the story this one man tells about going to a conference of Presbyterian. He went to a Presbyterian conference. And in fact, uh, several of us just went to our General Assembly, our global conference for the Church of the Nazarene in Indianapolis, Indiana, a couple weeks ago. We just got back. And... um, and it was a great conference. Lots of lots of joyful noise there. There was lots of shouting and praising God and people saying hallelujah. And there was great music and bands and choirs and all of that. We made a joyful noise. So anyhow, uh, so this guy goes to the Presbyterian conference. And, and knowing that they're more introverts, that they're not likely to say praise the Lord or say amen. What the conference decided to do to help them to express their joy when their hearts would become full, as God would be present, they gave everybody at the conference a helium balloon tied to a string. 
So everybody had a helium balloon with a string. And they said that as you experience the joy of the Lord and, and God fills your heart and you want to express that publicly as they're sitting in the conference and you want to express that publicly, uh, the way you do that is you let your balloon go. <laughs> and so that's exactly what happened. The conference starts and, and one person lets their balloon go. Whee! <laughs> a couple more minutes pass and another person, they let their balloon Go, you know, close to the ceiling. Whee! I mean, when one speaker really made a really strong point about three balloons, three balloons, they let three balloons go, and they floated up to the ceiling. <laughs> I love this. And the guy reports that at the end of the conference, only one-third of the people had let their balloons go. I think what this passage this morning, our passage, especially in James chapter 1 verse 2, it's saying something. It's saying, hey, church, let your balloon go. Express your joy in the Lord. Amen. Let it, let, let your face know about it <laughs> as you are filled with the joy of the Lord. In fact, James chapter 1, look at verse 2 with me. James chapter 1 verse 2. He writes this, he says, consider it pure joy, and think about that for a moment. It is pure joy, meaning that is joy that is sincere, it is joy uh, that is authentic, it's not a joy that is fabricated, you know, a joy that I'm mustering up and I'm going to act like I'm joyful. No, he's saying pure joy, consider it pure joy, this is authentic, because we know who Jesus Christ is, assuming that we have a relationship with Jesus Christ. Because Jesus is our hope, by the way. If you have not got that in reading of the Word, in reading the Bible, I mean, the more you read the Bible, the more that you're going to learn that Jesus is, is the hope. That Jesus is your hope. That Jesus is the hope for our church. That Jesus is the hope for our community. And Jesus is the hope for the world. And so when we know Jesus, you see, it becomes a pure joy because it's authentic, it's real. And he says, consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds. And I understand we face trials. And we've been through some trials as a church. There's been some lamenting. And there's been some heartache that's happened. And I understand that. But yet we, we come back now to the word that's given us instruction, church. And we're considering it pure joy. Because God is sovereign. And when Jesus is authentic and he's real and he's in our heart and we're filled with Jesus, then we can have joy no matter the circumstances. Amen. So one man says it like this. He says, joy is the byproduct of obedience. Did you know that? Say that with me. Joy is the byproduct of obedience. You know why? Because it feels good doing the right thing. It feels good when we make those kinds of decisions that align our will with the will of God. And the more our will is aligned with the will of God, the more our joy becomes complete. You see, it's pure joy. A pure joy because we know who Jesus Christ is and what Jesus has done for us. And and it gets even better when we align ourselves with God. And and it's an obedience that joy becomes real because because in obedience it leads us to it leads us to a balance in life. It leads us away from heartache. Did you know that the more we're in line with God, the less heartache we have in life. The more that we follow the will of God, the less brokenness that we have in life. You see, it's called balance. And I'm not talking about having an organic diet. It's balanced because Jesus Christ, Jesus Christ is our hope. Amen. Jesus leads us to joy. Amen. Joy is the answer. Now, 
joy, I need to say this as we're kind of going down this little trail here, that joy is easy to lose. You know that? It's easy to lose, but the good news is it's also an easy thing to get back. We just have to ask the question, what is robbing me of my joy? I mean, take a moment and think about that for a moment right there where you're sitting. What is robbing me of my joy? What, what is robbing you of your joy? I mean, you've known the joy. I mean, you've had that, that joy or that spring in your step or that twinkle in your eye. You've known Jesus. You've been on fire. But maybe that joy has been taken away and something has stolen that joy. Well, folks, you know there are killjoys in life. There are things that kill your joy and the enemy loves it. He loves killing your joy. There are killjoys. And, and one killjoy, I'm just going to mention a couple, but one killjoy, you know, is a wasted life or talent. Are you following me? It's a wasted life. You see, the enemy does not want you to use your life for God's glory. The enemy does not want you to use your talent for God's church, God's ministry, or for God's glory. He wants you just to sit there and do nothing. He does not want you to be mobilized. He does not want you to respond. You see, the enemy is gleeful. He has joy when we do not use our life. You see, a wasted life is a killjoy. I, I believe it. I know it. I have to take my hat off to our teachers, those that teach in our church and Sunday school, and some are teaching right now. And I take my hat off to the tech guys, all of you that volunteer in the back there, and those that are playing their instruments up here, and, and, and this little gal here. Uh, what's her name? The girl that smiles all the time and plays in her bare feet. I know her name. Her name's Angela. And she has joy. Why do you think she's smiling so big? She's using her life for Jesus. Listen, you you want joy in life? Use your life for Jesus. You want joy in life? Take your talent and use your talent for Jesus. I love this man right here. Paul, stand for just a moment. Stand right there where you're at. This is Paul Plum. Give Paul a hand. Yeah, stay standing for a moment, Paul. And Paul is the leader of our 7-Up follow-up program. And also, he said, Pastor, I have four weeks. I'm bored. Give me something to do. So our board members said, okay, Paul, do this research and do this research. And we have new grass between the buildings over here. And we have other projects that are happening. He's doing all this work for us without receiving a penny. Because he's using his life for Jesus. Are you having fun, Paul? Are you filled with joy, Paul? Amen. Hallelujah. You see, we want to have, we want to have joy. We use our life for Jesus and our talent to glorify God. And you see, when we waste our life or waste our talent, the enemy loves that. Now, there's going to be opportunities as time comes and as the months begin to pass by and we cast a vision for the church. There are going to be opportunities that ministry will happen and, and you'll say, man, this is my chance. I challenge you. Jump in. Be a part of it. Use your life. Use your talents for God. And God will be glorified as you discover joy in the Lord. Amen? So one killed joy is a waste of life. Another killed joy is bad decisions. Anybody ever make a bad decision? Anybody ever make a sequence of bad decisions? I mean, a sequence of bad decisions. Folks, that's a, that's a, that's a killjoy. And it takes her joy right away. So, so it's so wise to seek the wisdom of the Lord. It's so wise to say, God, what do you want me to do? God, what's your will for my life? And so we recognize, here's the fact. This is the good news, teens. We can get our joy back. 
That's what the promise is. That's what the word tells us. So joy is a byproduct of obedience. But here's the second thought, that joy is also an informed choice. Let me try to explain that. Joy is also an informed choice. Uh, Heidi and I, we've been married. We're in our 32nd year. And my wife, she's normally sitting right here, but she's welcoming the children. Oh, she's back there. And, uh, you know, probably like many marriages, we've had our ups and downs. And I'll never forget that first couple of years. And during those first couple of years, we had our first child who's special needs. I was in seminary and the tremendous pressure of seminary and the special needs child and learning how to be a husband. I became friends with my pastor there in Kansas City, and my pastor and I would eat, have breakfast together once a week. And, and so I became very transparent with him, and he said this to me as I was talking about a particularly difficult week that I was having. And he said to me, he said, as a husband, he said, you know, Tony, if you make it through this, it's going to get better. Now, I was so close to the mirror. I mean, I was so close, I couldn't see it. I mean, I could not believe it could get better because it was so bad. But you know what happened? The pastor is right. It got better. And in the whoop and the wharf of life and time and experience and, and all the ups and all the downs and, and all the, the thing that we call history in marriage, it's gotten better and better and better now almost 32 years. Amen. And, and, and I recognize that, that God used those experiences to inform us, to teach us, to help us to become more like him and to experience the depth of joy that can only be experienced because of history and experience. The more she forgives me and the more I forgive her, the sweeter it gets. Joy is an informed choice. I guess what I'm saying, and I do not want to get this wrong, so I want to read this sentence. I have it and I do not want to miss it, so I want to read it. What I'm saying is, I do not want my joy, listen to this, I do not want my joy to be dependent on my circumstances. I I want to be able to exclaim, despite my circumstances, I have everything I need for joy. Let me share, let me share a story with you that helps explain this. Of a man by the name of Robert Reed. He, He said, I have everything I need for joy, Robert Reed said. His hands are twisted and his feet are useless. He can't bathe himself. He can't feed himself. He cannot brush his teeth, comb his hair, or put on his underwear. Strips of Velcro hold his shirts together. His speech drags like a worn-out audio soundbite. Robert has cerebral palsy. The disease keeps him from driving a car, riding a bike, And going for a walk. But it didn't keep him from graduating from high school. Or attending Abilene Christian University. From which he graduated with a degree in Latin. Having cerebral palsy didn't keep him from teaching at St. Louis Junior College. Or from venturing overseas on five mission trips. And Robert's disease didn't prevent him from becoming a missionary in Portugal. He moved to Lisbon alone. There, he rented a hotel room and began studying Portuguese. He found a restaurant owner who would feed him after the rush hour and a tutor who would instruct him in the language. He then stationed himself daily in the park where he distributed brochures about Christ. Within six years, he had led 70 people to the Lord, one of whom became his wife, Rosa. I heard Robert speak recently, the author writes, 
I watched other men carry him in his wheelchair onto the platform. I watched them as they laid his Bible in his lap. I watched him as he took his stiff fingers and he used those fingers to push open the pages of the Bible. And then as he shared his story, I watched people in the audience wipe away tears of admiration from their faces. Robert could have asked for sympathy or pity, but he did just the opposite. He held his bent hand in the air and he boasted, I have all I need. I have all I need for joy. I have all I need. Mission Church, we have all we need to experience the joy of the Lord. I don't know what it is that you're experiencing right now in life, but I know this. I know that Jesus loves you. You see, when we get these glimpses, these little sparks of life that Jesus is real, and then all of a sudden the focus becomes Jesus. It's, it's, it's now we're on the right track. We're on the right road. We're going somewhere. You see, Jesus is all the joy that you need. Serving Jesus is the joy that you can experience. And I want to challenge us as a church this morning. I want to invite us as a church today to experience the fullness of the joy of the Lord, which is our strength. That's scriptural. The joy of the Lord that is our strength. I want to invite you to experience that in Christ. How are you serving Jesus this morning? How are you going to serve him in the future? Mission Church, God is stirring us for a reason. And I believe he wants to do great things through you. I want to invite our, our band to come and just prepare for some, uh, some worship and some response. And we're going to invite you just to reflect in a, in a reflection. Just, just kind of just say, Lord, I'm here. I, I want to experience a complete and full joy in you. Lord, I, I want my life to be used for you. I, I love the question that Paul Plum asked me. Is it okay if I repeat you, Paul? Paul Plum, is it okay if I repeat anything that you've said? Okay. So he, he said, how do we communicate to our congregation? And of course, he's holding me accountable when he's asking the question. How do we communicate to our congregation the joy of serving God? I mean, I mean if we're a church of volunteerism, a church that is a missional church, how do we communicate to the congregation the joy of serving him with our life? Because that's really how our joy becomes complete and full as we serve the Lord. Amen. And many of us serve. I understand that. Many of you serve. Many of you sacrifice hours. Many of you give. I understand that. But how do we mobilize our entire church to experience the joy of the Lord that is full and complete and serving him? Amen. You know, I understand that we have work and we have jobs and there's a world out there. But if hell is real and hell is hot, then is this not the most important thing that we're doing in life? Is lifting up the name of Christ, Jesus, the kingdom, what God is doing in this kingdom.